Welcome to the Investing with IBD podcast, sponsored by Direction. I'm Justin Nielsen, your host. It's Wednesday, September 1st, 2021. And as always, I am joined by Arusha Pires, O'Neill Global Advisors Portfolio Manager. He is the Gilligan to my skipper and joining me every week. But this week, we also have as our special guest, we have George Kachuk. Now, George has been, uh, I've met him a number of times. He used to go to a lot of the seminars that Bill was giving, and uh, he's a portfolio manager at RCM Wealth Advisors. So welcome to the program, George. Thank you. Hi, how are you guys doing? Uh, Thank you very much for having me. Uh, It's an honor to be here with two distinguished (laughs) Posts. <laughs> Distinguished, and that's losing the term, using the term very liberally. Right, so exactly. <laughs> I appreciate the kind words, George. We'll take it. Yeah, exactly. So on uh, on the show today, we're going to go over uh, the market, of course, as we always do. But one of the things in talking to George uh, that really impressed me was his persistence. I mean, you know, he had his struggles early on with figuring out investing. But this is a guy who was the 2020 investing U.S. investing champion in 2020 a great year. So I can only imagine what kind of performance he had. And that was in the money management division of over $1 million. So I mean, quite the feat. So it kind of shows what persistence can do for you. So we're going to learn some of the lessons that George has learned throughout his decades of experience here. And then as always, we're going to be picking George's brain for some ideas that he has right now in terms of stocks. So George, first of all, why don't we go ahead and start out before we get into the market? Um, you know, what kind of trader are you? Uh, are, are you are you more of a short-term trader? Are you a long-term trader? What's what's kind of your style? And how did you come up with that style? What's what's your background? Okay, so uh, basically, I do use the cancel investing system, and I view it as it's a trend-following system. So, in a sense, the goal always is to buy a stock and be able to hold on to it forever. But that never really happens. Uh, but I'm not a day trader. <laughs> I do look to buy stocks at opportune moments and hold them until something goes terribly wrong with them. That could be either they change in character, they, they fall off, or you know they run in a climax run and you just need to get rid of it because you just think things gotten too hot. So that could be you know stock for anywhere from a few weeks to a few months. You know it's really rare that I'm able to at least hold something for a few years. I don't think it's ever happened. Usually my longest period has been about six months, eight months. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's it's really not that buy and hold forever. I, the way I always looked at it was uh, it's buy and hold until it acts wrong kind of thing. <laughs> and, and you described all of those things that you look at for for acting wrong. Now, was your background, George, in in finance or, you know, how did you how did you stumble into this? OK, it's, it's kind of a long story going back many years. And I'll try to make it kind of short. Uh, but in 1991, I had moved to Las Vegas. I had a job there. I was in the medical field. I worked as a toxicological consultant for a workers' comp insurance company. But anyways, my supervisor, it almost seemed like the first day I come in there, he's telling me, you got to buy Coca-Cola. I'm like, what? You know? And he just came in every day and talked stocks. You know, the work was like, oh, we don't worry about that. Let's, let's talk stocks. Let's talk stocks. Oh, that's, yeah, and that, that's basically never... how it is at our office, too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> luckily, that we can get away with it. Yeah. Yes. So I had never invested before. But then my other buddy goes, hey, I know this broker in Florida. So, yeah, I, I set up an account. I remember the first stock I bought was a company called LaserSight. And I thought, well, I better learn something about this investing field. So actually, I started taking classes in the evening at UNLV at the Graduate School in Finance and Economics, learn a few things. 
and that, you know, that was pretty good, but you know, the things you learned there is kind of good to know, but that won't really help you make money necessarily in the stock market, at least in my opinion. So then just by chance, uh, I had gotten a book, uh, called, called stock market logic or something in the book was an insert, an insert, uh, subscribe to investors business daily, get two free weeks. And then, you know, I, I send that out and then I got a tape, uh, with Bill O'Neill talking, you know, mm -hmm. And Bill and Neil. Was, was this the old audio cassette tapes or was this the VHS tape or? No, it was an audio cassette okay. tape. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the thing that just stuck in my mind when he talked about, you know, if you have a store and you're selling red dresses and yellow dresses yeah. and the red dresses sell out, you know, do you order more yellow dresses or more red dresses? And I said, that's the way the stock market works. It's what's in demand goes in demand. And that kind of started to make sense. And I started to read the paper, trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, but, you know, I really, didn't know what was going on. And in about 94, I actually went, I did pretty well early on, but I went broke in 1994. Uh, the correction there got margin calls, it got way too heavy. Mm -hmm. And then in 95, the market took off and it took off without me because I had no money. Yeah. But I kept reading <laughs> the paper and studying, you know. And then uh, in about actually 98 or 99, I actually borrowed some money off a credit card. I, I, I said, I think I got this thing figured out. And then I started investing it. I actually margined that money. And then right about that time, too, I went to the first seminar that Bill put on with uh, Brian Anderson. I'm sure you were there. It was at Lowe's Santa Monica. Yeah, I was. I go, oh, that's what they're talking about. That's, you know, they had all the charts up on stage and they're talking about it. Even though I read the paper, I didn't really understood it. And then it like all clicked in. And of course, yeah. that was 98, 99. And everyone did phenomenal. I mean, it just crazy money, you know, and then using the methods I got out of the market in March, 2000 played around in the summer of 2000. And that was pretty good. Uh, but then, you know, I was like a kid in a candy store, so like sitting on a mountain of cash, not really knowing what I was doing. And through the next two years, I actually like gave back a lot of that money. Mm -hmm. But then I did catch the breakout in March of 2003 and made a lot of money in 2003, but then in 2004, I gave back a little. But now I'm moving back to Chicago. My wife and I moved back to Chicago and a buddy of mine uh, worked for a commodity firm. He says, hey, we're, expect, we're expanding our stock division. You want to come work with us as a stockbroker? And I says, I don't know. Sure. And I met his bosses. We actually met him at the bar downstairs, the bar called Series at the Chicago Board of Trade. And they just talked to me a few minutes and they're like, hey, if you take the test, uh, you know, we'd like to have you pass the Series 7 test and come work for us as a broker. So that was kind of really good. And then, you know, we made really good money there and that enabled me to keep going out to IBD seminars and learning things. Um, but then I kind of got involved with work. I didn't invest too much for myself. And then 2007 came by and the solar stocks were hot and I, yeah. I started doing that. And then actually some of the guys in the office were actually giving me their, their money to manage. That's how it kind of started out there. And then though our company, MF Global, uh, so actually, okay, interesting market because then 2008, you remember the commodity stocks, how well they did. So that was just fantastic, you know, especially in the spring of 2008. Right, like around March. Uh, yeah, with, with the oil stocks. I mean, we, we just kind of killed it. And then we left the market in July and didn't come back till March of 09. Actually, I was even nervous buying then. I think I waited till April to start buying it again, but we sat out that whole time. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of, you know, getting better at, at this investing. But at that time, then MF Global, we got rid of the stock business, but this is what I wanted to do. So I had to leave the firm and then uh, they ended up going under anyways. 
Uh, then I was at Options Express. We got bought by Charles Schwab. They threw us out. So it was just a few of us left over brokers. And then we started this firm, RCM. And I was lucky, though, the, the guy who runs our company, uh, Tim Webb, he was like, you don't know how to sell. You, you don't sell. But, you know, you're pretty good at managing. So you're going to be a portfolio manager. <laughs> me and, uh, my co-manager, Chris Chu. Go with your strengths, huh? Yeah. You know, and then we he told the other guys, you guys go out, meet the clients, raise the money, and these guys will, will manage the money. So it's kind of a long story, but that's how it all, so, that's how so, it all started. Mm-hmm. So, George, in 2008, the, the one of those things that really stuck out to me is you were able to avoid a lot of it. You weren't really tempted to get back in. What were some of the clues that helped you stay out of that? Or, you know, because a lot of people, are they, they once they get out, especially a lot of times you start getting out when the market really gets bad, you give back a lot of your gains. Right. And, and so that initial kind of reaction is I need to get back to make those, uh, make all those gains that I lost back. So what kept you on the sidelines and, you know, uh, really what, what was the, the kind of the secret to your discipline? Okay, well, there are a few things. So I learned through previous years, if you don't have money when the going's good, you're going to hurt. So you, you have to be careful and respect, respect risk. And at the end of 2007, you remember, solar stocks were really hot. And yeah. it was Sun Power. They had a Timex run. We got out. Mm-hmm. And then everything I tried, a few things, it didn't work. And I said, Get out, you know, just stay out, stay out. Yeah. And now, the funny thing is, too, I was, at, when MF Global got spun off Man Financial, in August 2007, I was buying my own company stock. It was publicly traded, uh, you know, a few hundred shares every week or two. And I says, you know, I love my company. I'm going to stay with them. But then I realized by January, I was out of everything. I wasn't trading any stocks, but I still had my company stock. And I said, you know, something's really wrong here. The market's turned over. It's, it's going downhill. Um, and I think it was uh, the S- some winning indexes were hitting highs, but the others were not. And that was yeah. in the fall of 2007. I told you something was wrong. And then the market, you know, we had distribution days that were just piling up. Right. Yep. And more so, any trades you tried were not working. So I just got out of everything. And, you know, luckily I even sold my company stock because then there was a whole saga. There was a, a midnight wheat trader that did some crazy trade that sunk the firm. And then wow. you know, everything. Wow. You know, everything just started to go bad in 2008. And that told you, you know, that something's very wrong. Uh, and, and so that was good. But then the funny thing was that it was in March, all of a sudden, all these uh, oil drillers, the Continental Resources, when I really right. remember, just broke out and they just ran like nobody's business, you know? Yeah. yeah. And then again, you know, they, I had sold them at the top. I thought they're peaking out. Then I thought they're, they're making a high tight flag in June. And I, I went all in margin, everything in the continental resources. And then it's, it worked for a day and then started pulling back. And I said, I had to talk myself out of it yes. you need to get out yeah. it took me two or three days. Cause I was already counting how much money I was going to make, but I <laughs> needed to get out. I, I kept going home every night. I had those big chart books from the, from the chart school. And I was looking through uh, climax runs and high tech flags, you know, am I getting something wrong here? And if I said, get out, get out, preserve your money, you know, mm-hmm. That's excellent. So, you know, you, you had a, I mean, like you had a lot of years where you were struggling and you, you know, you were giving back a lot of your gains. And, um, you know, I mean, I, again, you, you still kept at it. I mean, I, I love the story of how you, you know, okay, I'm going to go on credit cards and then use margin on that credit card money and, uh, you know, really go for it. And so what, what did you, what did you learn from that whole process? What, what kept you at it? I guess. Um, cause a lot of people at a certain point after giving back that money, 
uh, a few times um, would have given up, but yet here you were, you kept on trying. And I mean, was that 2008, the fact that you were on the sidelines, was that because of lessons you learned in 2000? Um, what, 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 yeah, what kind of clicked are, for you? Yeah, those are the lessons I learned in, uh, in the 90s and 2000, because and like I told you in 95, I was watching Dell computer just race straight ahead. I think I had a 30 full move. And I'm like, how come I don't have any money? I can't, I can't be in this market. Right. You know, yeah. I said, I never want to be there again. Even in, in 2000, after the run 2003, I gave some, I had a great 2003 in the first month in January, I gave it almost all of it back. I mean, I'm like, how crazy is that? You know, but the reason I stuck with it, I, I just totally believed in life. You, you have to do what you love. And, if you do what you love, you know, the money will follow, you know, you, you have to have a passion for it. If you just keep studying it and do what you really like, the money will follow, you know, even like when MF Global went down and like, so we got kicked to the street, there was like, we made great money as brokers all of a sudden from about 2010 to 2015, 16, I wasn't making any money other you know, than the money I was trading. Uh, uh -huh. That's like really, really tough. <laughs> like I'm already being older in my age. <laughs> I'm a wife. Wow, we have to change our lifestyle. It, 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 yeah, it's, like, it's always wow. difficult when you're trading to eat, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Uh -huh. Now, would you say that there was any one thing, you know, again, you you, you talked a little bit about um, some of the post-analysis you've done, you know, when, when we were talking earlier. Um, but, you know, sometimes with that post-analysis, you find that, you know, there's a, there's a lot of rules where you're like, oh, I could do this different, dif this different. Was there any one thing that kind of stuck out at you that was like, oh, changing this changed my whole trajectory? Uh, well, I, I think it was just cutting the losses, yeah. you know, cutting the losses and just cutting the losses and cutting the losses because you can, even like I look now, like last year, 50%, uh, I have 50% win, 50% lose ratio on the stocks. That I traded last year, and it's, I think it's about 110 stocks. It was more trades, but just a number of stocks. So this is 2020, and, where you won the U.S. Investing Championship. You're saying yes. the hit rate was 50/50, but basically 50/50. Yeah, but <laughs> okay. I never let any one trade go more than one percent against the portfolio. Right. You know, that's just a stop. And you look at your results, and you see that it's really the 20 stocks. You know, actually three or five that really make the whole year. It actually okay. really comes down to one, but the others were pretty good. And everything else was just a waste of time. Mm -hmm. Of course, you don't know that at the time when you're doing <laughs> right. that. Right, mm -hmm. yeah. You know? uh, so that's just the, if you cut your losses, no matter how many things you try, if you play it tight, you always have money to come back, you know? And, and I remember going to seminars, uh, webinars, so excuse me, seminars, where Mike Webster and Charles Harris were talking about boom and busters. And I'm like, God, they're talking about me. Cause I, I, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I had like a few hundred percents, you know, in, in the, yeah, as, as everyone did, 99, 2000, and 2003. And then I just let it evaporate, you know, because you're just, you're thinking, ah, oh, it's not my money. And uh, it's just terrible, you know. Uh, so just that. Right. Um, and, and, and how, you know, for 2020, would you say that that was kind of the culmination of everything for you? Or was that just kind of, um, you know, I mean, everything was clicking at that point to, to win you that U.S. investing championship or had you been, you know, oh, this is just another good year on top of the good years that I've been trending higher for a while now. Um, well, it, a few things. It, it, it was a culmination, but then I also said I have to be really careful here because mm -hmm. too, this money is not only my money, it's my friend's money, it's yeah. uh, my, a lot of my clients' money. So it's like, 
really money, uh, real money. And it's like, you have to, you can't just blow up people's money. So my whole thing really was uh, playing defense. You know, uh, the markets started really strong uh, first two months, January, February, and right near the end of February, things started to get a little funny. And I remember I just sold out everything and I just said, I need to control any losses. I says, if we just have, a, if we go flat the whole year, I, I won't be that upset because I know it's still a good year (laughs) just in those first two months. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, you know, I was ready up in February, like 20%. And I thought that's a little unusual. You need to be a little careful here. And then I saw some funny price action, uh, February 21st, it was a Friday. And there's a story behind that. But anyways, I sold everything. I tried one more trade. I had no idea next Monday it was going to drop, but I didn't have any idea it was going to drop so bad. But just paying attention to, to price action and just cutting losses. So the one trade I had left Monday, I just immediately sold it. And then and then I went on to, okay, now the market's correcting. Now we need to look for stocks that are going to be the first ones out of the box, strong stocks, you know, high relative strength. When markets correct, just like they did in the, the end of 2018, all I'm looking at is which stocks are showing high relative strength. Those are usually yeah. going to be your, your first winners out of the box, you know. Right. Uh, Okay, a lot of great lessons here, and we are going to continue the discussion with a look at the current market and some stocks that are on George's radar, so make sure you stay tuned for that. The Direction Hydrogen ETF offers exposure to the top 30 pure play hydrogen economy companies by largest market capitalization, leading the way towards net zero emissions by providing more accessible, efficient, sustainable solutions across five hydrogen-related sub-themes. With clean hydrogen-based energy expected to grow five times in the next 30 years, companies building hydrogen-related businesses to generate power, heating, transportation, and more will likely thrive. Okay, welcome back to Investing with IBD podcast sponsored by Direction. It's Justin Nielsen, your host, along with my special guest weekly, Arusha Paris, O'Neill Global Advisors Portfolio Manager, and our other guest today, our really, really special guest, George Kachuk, the Portfolio Manager at RCM Wealth Advisors and the U.S. Investing Champion of 2020 in the Money Management Over $1 Million Division. So, uh, George, a lot of great lessons that you've learned over the years. And again, you really took advantage of 2020. Let's maybe talk a little bit about the current market. Um, being a CanSlim aficionado, uh, I'm sure you pay attention to that M in CanSlim. Um, what's your take on the market now, uh, given where we're at? I mean, we had this strong bounce off the 50-day moving average line in the NASDAQ, which we're currently showing for those of you that are watching on video. Um, that strong bounce on the 50-day moving average line kind of seems like we're getting a little extended here. How are you positioning yourself? Okay, uh, we are a little extended, uh, but, you know, we are in a good uptrend with minimal distribution days. We are getting a little extended, but I am only about 80% invested right now. And the reason that is, is just because uh, the indexes are are masking a little bit what's going on with a lot of the other growth stocks, although I think they've really improved over the last few weeks. So meaning they've had some pretty good moves, but they're all just kind of moving sideways. It's like every day I ask myself, oh, if I had taken this trade, how would it have worked out? And it seemed like for the first few hours in the morning, you're missing it. You feel like you're missing it. And at the end of the day, you're like, I really didn't miss anything. You know, it's pretty tough. Right. But the NASDAQ, yeah. It, you know, it's going up a little. So if it came in a little, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, it's, it's being run. You have Apple, a $2 trillion company breaking out to new highs. 
Facebook, uh, you know, recovering the a negative earnings reaction pretty quickly and then breaking out to highs. Uh, that's a trillion dollar company too. So that's, that's really what's driving the indexes, but a lot of are the kind of like I call our usual suspect growth stocks, they're still right. in a pretty good move um, May in June, actually. And now they're just digesting those gains. So it's a little bit, I don't want to be fully invested unless things are really moving your way because then you're vulnerable. You know, you could, it, things could just drop on you. If you have your whole portfolio in growth stocks, it all starts dropping in the middle of the day if you're down a few percent. That, that's just terrible, you know. Now, George, uh, you, you mentioned that you're 80% invested right now. Is that a result of you lightening up and locking in some gains or just not not one? You, you just haven't taken enough trades over the, the last month or two? Uh, I, I, it's been a little bit mixed. About two weeks ago, I was only at one point, only about 20% in. Okay. And I saw some things working, so I went in and, and, and they're working. But then I said, you know, I'm getting a little sideways act, too much sideways action. That's just, you know, I just felt the account was a little too vulnerable. And you know, it's, you feel the market's pretty good. Indexes are moving. And, but if, I, if your whole account starts, you know, moving against you, you feel terrible and then you're going right. to be emotional and you might sell things you didn't really want to sell. So I just sort of say, okay, there's a few stocks here I want to hold on to. So I have to let a few others go just so I can withstand the shock here. So, you know, maybe the market will be against me maybe 1% instead of 3% being fully invested, you know. Yeah. And what about the position sizes that you generally, are, are you trying to get into like the classic 20% position sizes that, you know, of the can slim methodology or you, uh, or, or you have going a little bit smaller? Uh, I, I do strive for 20% and sometimes even a little bit more about 25, 30%. I try to, you know, 5% is usually like where I might start a test position, 5 or 10%. Mm -hmm. If I'm feeling pretty confident, you know, I'll go right in 10, 12%. But uh, if I'm sort of like, yeah, this is a little speculative, it's 5%. Sometimes if it's a low price stock, you know, it might even be 2, 3% just because the number of shares, you're, you know, if it's not super liquid, you, you might get in a little bit of trouble. Mm -hmm. Now, you also mentioned about this whole idea of cutting your losses and, you know, not not putting more than, you know, not taking more than a 1% hit to your portfolio on any one stock. So um, are you, you know, how are you doing that? Are you setting a set percentage, the 7% to 8% stop loss, or are you um, adjusting your position size uh, based on, you know, maybe some of the more volatile stocks, you, you have to give them a little bit more room, or do you just say, I, I'm never going to be losing more than this amount? A uh, little bit of, of both, meaning I'm actually trying to keep it the, from three to five percent for from anything I buy. You know, three percent's a little bit tight sometimes. Five percent's right. good. I, I really don't like letting it go to seven or eight percent unless it's some volatile IPO and I'm ready for that. And I'll say, okay, I'm just going to take one percent position just because I feel like I want to try it. And then really the stops too. It's just not so much percentage. It's where it is on the chart, meaning. Mm -hmm. Or when I look at the chart, it, is the stock broken? You know, is it meaning if something is, let's say, 10% above the 20 day line, well, I just can't buy it because I know it could easily go back to the 20 day line, remain in this trend, keep moving up. And so that I can't even take that trade. But if I can get something right on a 20 day line, I can like load up, I can say, take a 10% position and realize it drops three below 3% 3 below this uh, 20 day line then the trade is broken. So I don't really want to be in the stock. So it's a little bit of a combination of 
you want to minimize your loss, but not just arbitrary percentage wise, but where the right. stock is broken on the chart, where it's like, it, it, it's, it's, you know, sometimes you pick up something on a rebound 50 day line. Those are really nice plays because you know, if it drops below, it doesn't work. You know, immediately a trade's no good. And I love those trades because you, you know, in 10 minutes, you're like, this is trade's not going to work. Right. Yeah. And, and, and going off of that. So how much do you think you're kind of buying out of a normal breakout versus something like buying out of a, off a bounce off the 50 day, or maybe a stock that's coming back up through the 50 day or, or even a bounce off the 21 day. So, so most of my trades now, I am mostly trying to cheat in on that right side of the base a little okay. bit when I see it has some character change where, you know, on the left side of the base, most stocks, they're trending below their 10, 20 day lines, they're bumping right. into them. And then they make the turn. And then once they get above that 10, 20 day line, if it's a stock that had a previously big move. So I say to myself, okay, this is a mover. So in these movers, you know, stocks that double continue to double sometime again. Yeah. So those are interesting. I'm trying to like buy along those 10, 20 day lines. And then when the breakout does happen, I will add up there, but at least my cost will be below that breakout level. Cause just, I don't know. I think everybody has software now. Everyone sees their breakout. That scares me a little. Although some of the best stocks, they break out and they still keep going. Uh, so I just don't want to be putting on a full position right at that breakout level. So, I, you know, I try to cheat in a little bit lower. Mm -hmm. And as you said, a lot of times, you know, even with that early cheat where they might be more failure prone, but you you know very quickly, again, with just a, you know, just losing a few percent, uh, whether or not it's working. And as you mentioned at the outset, again, this is something that people really need to realize that you could have a 50-50 hit rate, but if you're keeping your losses small and, you know, you catch a couple big winners, uh, you can still have a phenomenal year, you know, as, as you proved in 2020. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That, that, that is just so true, you know, and it's always just going to be, you know, and as Bill always said, you know, feed your your best stocks. And, you know, once your stocks really start moving, you can even go over 20, 30%, but you gotta be, then you gotta really be careful and you probably do have to sell into strength and not when the stock's broken because then you're carrying a large position, even if you get up to 50%, you gotta sell into strength and that's slightly different uh, kind of thing, but, and you, but you have to have a huge cushion before you can build a position that big. Right. Yeah. Now it, with, with the selling the strength. So there are, there are some stocks where you identify the leader and, and you want to try to hold those as long as possible and try to continue to increase it. But then there are a number of other stocks that you might just take those gains. Do you have a certain kind of percentage that you're trying to take those gains? If you're taking 5% losses, are those gains like 15%, 20% where you're trying to lock in gains for kind of the, the ones that might not be the, what you think are the leaders in the market? Yeah, you know, I, I'm not so good at that. I know where Bill talks about I'm, I'm taking most of your stocks, take yeah. 20, 25%. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm really not. I, I, I'll just be in the stock because I think every stock I buy is going to be the one, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, and and I try to stay in it until I, I see some change in character, meaning all of a sudden it, it was trending along nicely. All of a sudden a big volume hit comes in uh, out of nowhere, hits the stock. I go, ah, this, this is like, uncharacteristic now that's when i'll get out so that sometimes in this year was probably would have been a great year for everybody just to sell for quick gains after the stock moved out uh i didn't do that unfortunately uh but that's just not one of my strong points 
Mm-hmm. No, so yeah, I, I was hoping you would give me more clarity, George. So, <laughs> right. Um, so, uh, a- anything else about this market? Um, you know, one of the other things I guess you you, you mentioned where the S and P five hundred and the Dow Jones Industrial Average were, um, but what about the Russell two thousand? Is that one that you ever uh, take a look at? I mean, that's that's been lagging a little bit uh, lately. It, it finally got above its fifty day moving average line after living below it for a few weeks. Um, yeah. You know, does that does that factor into your market analysis at all? It, it does a little bit. You know, I, I was watching it. And was that, okay, so two things were scaring me about the market is everyone knew the breadth's terrible. You know, yeah. it, it, market's being run by a few stocks. And then the Russell 2000's doing pretty lousy. And then it started dip below a 200-day line. Mm-hmm. And that's like really bad because I have a saying, nothing good really happens underneath the 200-day line. <laughs> yep. Yeah. You know, but now it recovered and, you know, got above its 50-day line. And even now... Uh, today, it, it's, uh, did it close above Friday's last Friday's high? I think it did. It's, it's right yeah, above it looks yeah, like yeah. Friday's high. So that's like a, a little bit of a pivot that, uh, you know, so that's adds a little bit more sh- kind of conviction that this market might go. Some of the industry groups that were way on the bottom, the uh, com- computer software enterprise groups, uh, there was, right. it was down, what, 184, 187? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, oh, my God, uh, at mm-hmm. the bottom. And now it's uh, number 14 I was looking today. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so one other thing you were talking about some of this conviction and again, having having that decision of what you're going to be holding on to, you know, and as you said, you know, Bill was like, water, water your plants, water your flowers and, and, and pull your weeds. Um, we've been talking a lot about the technical action of, of these, you know, with stops uh, and looking at the charts. What about the fundamental side? Um, how much reading of the stories are you doing? How much um, are you being very critical on the earnings and you know revenue. Uh, what, what's, what's your take on the fundamental side of things? Okay, I'm not the strongest fundamental guy. I'll let you know right now. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it's and uh, but there's a, there's a good story. I mean, I do look at all the uh, earnings and revenues, uh, the profit margins, return on equities, and all those kind of metrics. I uh, read up a little bit on company, but I've kind of gotten to realize through the years that when I do that, I tend to fall in love with the company too much. <laughs> Yeah. You know? Yeah. And and that's almost like where you should know everything about the company you're invested in, but then you you really like everything you're doing and, and you fall in love with it. Yeah. This but, is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but here's a here's a really I'm lucky because uh my co-manager uh, for all the other portfolios we run for the company, he's a CFA. Okay. He's a very studious guy. So he reads everything about these companies and he knows everything about them. He knows how they make their money, how their competitors make their money and what their market is. And he does a very good uh, discounted cash flow models. Mm-hmm. And he always says, oh, this company uh, is pretty good. And he'll tell me shorthand, you know, so I'm lucky I can kind of piggyback off that because I, I couldn't. That's, that's division of labor. That's just uh, efficiency oh, yeah. right there. <laughs> well, well, yeah. I mean, really going off of that though, how, how does that dynamic work? Because it's, Really, if he's doing discounted cash flow models and you're looking at charts and you don't care about valuations, there could be conflict there, I'm guessing. Uh, at times there is, but it's never really bad because we're, we're actually both respect each other very much. And so we just kind of like, you know, yeah. he gives his spiel, I give my spiel. And, and if he says this stock, you know, it could be worth more. I says, well, let's just see something positively technically for a move and then we can maybe go into it but at this point you know there's nothing there or this thing's breaking down i know 
you know, but then he'll look, why is it breaking down? And he'll find someone, you know what, here's what all the other analysts are looking at, you know, uh, maybe I didn't see this or something, or, or he'll say, no, they're wrong. We should, we should hang with this. And I'll be, oh, okay, you know. <laughs> well, as long as you're above <laughs> to, to, the to a degree, right? <laughs> as long as you haven't hit the, the, the 5% stop loss or something, right? Or are there times where you might be down even more than 8% and he's saying, hang on, but you're uh, so so. Is there is there ever any kind of dis disagreement there, or or you both agree that okay, if it hits eight percent, ten percent, whatever your exit strategy is, you're out, no questions asked, and we'll figure a way to get back in a, if if things change. Yeah, yeah, we we do pretty much agree in that, but also in those uh, portfolios that we co-manage, those yeah. those positions tend to be two three percent, and those are like okay. larger position. So. Okay. So luckily, we're kind of like, yeah, we can give it a little bit of room because it's not going to kill the whole portfolio. Yeah, very good. I, know, I mean, risk management, it's like if you have a two or 3% position, risk management essentially is built in there already because right. if that one stock goes down to zero, you won't, you've lost, you know, two or 3% on your portfolio, which isn't great, but still, it's not, you can recover from that. Yeah. And, and it sounds like, again, what you're doing a lot is uh, he's bringing in that fundamental side and you're bringing in that technical side, which, again, was what Bill did a lot of times. He, he used to say all the time, hey, I'm using the technical action for the timing. I, I'm waiting for that signal of strength that tells me, OK, now, you know, now is the time to act on it. You know, but he, he always started with those good companies, which, again, you're getting from that CFA analysis. Yeah, and, and you know, and it, it also matters, like, again, which portfolio, because even last year, it was even uh, the year before that, when, when Zoom came out, he was looking at it, he, and he goes, you know, this thing could be worth $400, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. and so in one of our portfolios, we we held it through uh, all last year. That's and awesome. It, and even though it had the strongest relative strength, I could not hold it in mind. Uh, when we got into February. Even I don't, I don't blame you. I, that was the one stock that I had so much conviction in it. And it, I was very quick to get out of it once mm -hmm. the market got, you know, started getting crazy. Yeah, but when you look at the relative strain, I was so high, but it's moving 10% yeah. a day on you. Yes, exactly. How, how can you hold that? But, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, in our other portfolio, where it was a smaller position, it was like, he's like, no, we can hold it. So, so it's kind of always, you know. Risk management. Yeah. Yeah. Things in context, so. Well, we'll go ahead and get a lot more into stocks in our next segment. So hope you all stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. KLNE, the Direction Daily Global Clean Energy Bull 2X shares, seeks to achieve 200% of the daily performance of the S&P Global Clean Energy Index. The S&P Global Clean Energy Index provides exposure to companies from developed markets whose economic fortunes are tied to the global clean energy business. KLNE allows traders to take a bold position in companies exposed to solar, wind, and other renewable energy sources. Welcome back to Investing with IBD podcast, sponsored by Direction. I'm your host, Justin Nielsen, and joined by Arusha Pires, O'Neill Global Advisors Portfolio Manager, and George Kachuk, Portfolio Manager at RCM Wealth Advisors and the U.S. Investing Champion of 2020 in the Money Manager's 1 million plus division. So, George, we've been talking a lot about, uh, or we, I guess, ended the segment, uh, last segment, with a look at Zoom. Um, what are some of the other stocks that are on your radar? How long have you held them? And what is it that you're looking at? Are you using price targets? Um, what's telling you how long to keep these stocks in your portfolio or maybe shed them? So let's, uh, where do you want to start? Maybe with NVIDIA? Okay, yeah, let's take a look at NVIDIA. Okay. 
Okay, so I like NVIDIA for a lot of reasons. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a very liquid stock and it mm -hmm. tends to trend. It doesn't have too many wild swings compared to a lot of the stocks. So it's, it's gone through a pretty good consolidation uh, here through uh, 2021. Mm -hmm. And then we got an up, up move and it formed another cup and, and handle and it broke out. So it, it actually was very playable over the last few months. If we can uh, actually go to a daily chart, I think we see some really good volume spikes. So if we start, let's say if we go to April, we had, right, we had a big yeah. volume move there, it broke out, but it didn't go anywhere, but it failed. But it didn't fail miserably, meaning, okay, I'm not in the stock now, it's, but it's, it's pulling back on lighter volume. And then we have this, this volume surge uh, right after earnings or right during the earnings period, and it breaks out, classic breakout. And I'm like, okay, that's worth buying, okay? And then we had some few good volume days where it continues to trend, mm -hmm. okay? So this, I'm saying, okay, this is off to the races. Now... I admit, you see that uh, red reversal day on the, the big volume day yeah. right there? 96.9 okay. million shares traded on a yeah. reversal on uh, June 18th. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that did scare me. I took the profit, I got out. But okay. I still like the stock. You know, I actually I sold half and then I think uh, the next day or the day after I sold the rest. Mm -hmm. But I still like NVIDIA because it's just got great earnings, great revenues, great profit margins. Everyone knows their business is great, you know, uh, data centers are exploding and they're going to continue to explode into the future. So it's a stock to be watched. So I didn't go after it again because I didn't have a good pivot to buy into it just yet. So I was going to wait for till earnings came by. So it formed a nice couplet handle. Then earnings came out and it, it doesn't go crazy. It didn't explode. You could buy it right there, right at a $200 level. Mm -hmm. I like round numbers and I, I, I like that you know the 10 20 days turned up right there and then and again look at that volume that came in three days in a row really big volume and now it's just you know last few days trailing back and that's fine that's all really good action uh dried up volume after huge volume moves that's a stock you you want to be able to sit in and I, I hope to sit in this and actually it's a big position and i think on the first pullback i might you know, first good pullback, if, if nothing crazy doesn't happen, it always matters how it pulls back, you know, right, I'm, right. I'm into it, you know. Now, now, George, the during this whole analysis, the one thing that really stuck out is you kept emphasizing volume. Mm -hmm. Now, are you requiring volume at these breakouts, if you're going to get into them? Or how, how do you handle that? Because that's, that's always a debate amongst all of us, especially uh, during the summer, where we've seen a lot of low volume happening. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know a lot of things might break out in low volume and work, but it, I need to see the volume. That convinces me, okay, the funds are killing each other. Something, there was a surprise, whether it's an earnings surprise or, some, or something, or, or some news came out and they, they decided we really need to get into the stock. And so that's what the volume tells me. And so it gives me a little more conviction that I can go into that stock, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So I, I really like the volume. And, you know, I, I don't want to jump around too much, but if we go back to last year, all those gap ups we saw on the stocks, like, you know, Fastly's, the Data Dogs, the Twilio's, right. the volume was higher than the IPO day. It was like the high, and then that's <laughs> right. true. Yeah. Go in. And that was, you know, so for me, volume is, is, is key. <laughs> yeah. Now, in, in NVIDIA here, um, you were talking about this breakout that failed. So it breaks out in April um, and then it bases again. Um, did you, 
did you have a position from earlier? Did you hold through that base or did you say, oh, you know, this breakout isn't working. Um, let me wait and, and see what happens. Uh, you, you mentioned how it, it was a very orderly pullback. The base was, what was that, a, a depth of like 17%. Yes. Um, so, you know, yeah, very, I, I very, just, very manageable, not, not break, breaking down at all. Yeah, I actually just, I did not have a position in at that time. And okay. I'm not sure why, you know, I was probably just involved looking at other things. So mm -hmm. I didn't have a position in that time, but you know, even though that was an orderly pullback, if I bought the breakout and it was started to start to pull back, I probably would have got stepped aside with the idea if you know if you have money, you can always buy it back. And it doesn't bother me to pay a few dollars higher for something that I really like. Yeah. You know, I've learned yeah. to let that go, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah, seriously. Uh, and do you um, you know, you mentioned that this was a larger uh position for you. Um You've, you've probably made money on this a few times in this run, but is there uh, any hesitancy? Because again, as we look at this weekly chart, it's had quite the move since 2020. Um, and I mean, even before that, I mean, if you go back to 2016, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just been, you know, this phenomenal move at, at some point, are you like, oh man, this is, this is, this is played out. It's done. Uh, you know, sometimes you think that, but then I looked, okay, this thing's actually based uh, through from June of 20 going sideways. And, and so there's a, and really a long a, base. Yeah, really long base and a base reset. And so that's good. If it was just running and screaming higher, yes, that would, would concern me. But now we got a base reset, a base count reset. So, you know, history tells us stocks like, you know, like in the 80s and 90s, you know, the Home Depots, the Microsofts, you know, these things can run for a very long time. And so right. I, I like stocks that showed me that they have a ability to move and run. And I think they can continue running. And especially just knowing that they're the leader in the GPU chips and, you know, the data centers and this last earnings report, the CEO really gave a very bright outlook going forward. So, yeah. Yeah. You know. Well, speaking of these longer bases, let's go ahead and turn our attention to AMD because this is one that for a while, uh, some of the chips were moving and NVIDIA was moving and this seemed like it was just not going anywhere. It just had this uh, base that it was forming. So uh, what do you think about AMD now? Okay. I really like AMD now and I like the stock, but it's a stock that will drive you crazy. <laughs> I've traded the stock since $15. Okay. So many yeah. Times. Yeah, you know, and it'll 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 break out, and then it'll go sideways, or it's gonna look like it's gonna break out, and it'll go sideways. No, just do this to you, and it'll just wear out. I think you know, scare out every holder. So you have to be cognizant. This is the character of AMD. So just look like from it's, it's basing for about a year, and it was always stopping at a hundred dollars, and kind of like eighty dollars, little below it, it was finding support there. And, you know, and I said, one of these times it's going to break that hundred dollars. I don't know when, because just even uh, just a few weeks ago, it looks like it was running up to 95. And I was, I was uh, buying a position off the character change uh, in, in the low about 84, $85. Mm -hmm. And I go, ah, okay. Again, it's reversing. You know, we go to daily chart. Yeah. Right in there. Uh, there's yep. some good money to be made, you know, and there you go. It got really tight in there. You right where your cursor is. And then we got a volume pop and then started trending along. And being AMD got up to $95. I'm thinking, okay, this thing's going for $100. It's going to get to the $100 level. And then sure enough, it pulls yeah. back. That I'll actually <laughs> sold because I know AMD can be very volatile and move on you. Yep. Then we had the earnings. 
And then we see that volume pop and just look at that volume. And the crazy thing is that morning, it actually traded down a little bit and you were able to pick it up to be $94, $95. And so I went in and it was about 12% position. And then that volume just got you know stronger and stronger day after day. And it had a huge move. Now, you know, I should have maybe sold into that 120 level, but then I'm thinking, you know, Bill's rule of someone moves that quick, try to hold it for eight weeks. And I do yeah. believe in that. I stick in that. If you have so many high volume days, I go, right. people are killing each other to get into it. So I, I, I did hold it. The volume on the downside is a little bit uh, higher than what I'd like to see. But again, that's AMD for you. But then it started to trade orderly along its 1020 day line. And then I was uh, adding in uh, right here along these levels here. So mm -hmm. I, I built up a larger position, uh, but I have a I have a good, great cushion because my cost is still below $100. It's it's in the low 99s or something like that. So I go, okay, if this thing, if I round trip to $100, so be it, but I won't lose money. And, you know, uh, so I added in gingerly, always thinking about where my average cost is going to be. And now hopefully it'll survive up here. Uh, I think it's acting pretty well at 10, 20 day, but it's AMD. It can do crazy things to you, but hopefully the 50 day gets above hundred dollars. And again, it gives you a little bit like perspective right. where you might need to get out if something goes bad. Uh, naturally that right that day we're hit 120, that's going to be a hurdle. The highest volume uh, we've seen in a long time and, you know, a reverse from there. So that's, so there are a lot of sellers there, right? <laughs> well, and it seemed like it was turning into a little bit of a meme stock, uh, I guess, which again was unusual. Ed, Ed Carson, our news editor, kept on pointing out, what is this doing as a meme stock? Because it actually has a real business as opposed to most of the meme stocks. No, uh, did, did that concern you at all with the, I mean, again, you know, can you trust that volume when it gets to be, you know, something that's all over Reddit? Uh, it's, it's, it scares you. Yeah. You, I don't know what to do about it because it's, you know, often we hope we want our stocks to really move. And then when they move, you're like, well, I don't want to move that fast. Too much of a good thing. Uh -huh. Yeah, you know, it gets a little wild. So that does concern me. But then I was thinking, okay, let's just see if it continues to ride its 20-day line or, you know, then we're still okay. And plus the thing is, again, the low cost basis. You got the low cost basis. You can afford to give yourself some room. And again, their business, uh, their data center, center business is exploding. You know, they got triple digit earnings growth. Uh, their revenue growth just accelerated, mm -hmm. you know, and their profit margins increase. So you, you got to like a company like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's go ahead and turn our attention to Tesla, uh, ticker symbol TSLA. So uh, this is absolutely no stranger to the show. Uh, this is another one that's been consolidating for a while. It, gotten support at the 200 day moving average line um now that it's gotten back above 730 is this uh something that you think has has a room to grow again yes and i do and it actually tesla you know after it was topping out there 900 i was thinking okay this is the qualcomm of you know in qualcomm in 2000 you know right this is a stock everyone loves and it's over with you know mm -hmm. so i was out of it and then i was watching it but the one level i was really watching was if you look in December, that $222 million day, mm -hmm. yeah, it, it closed at $695. And that was the Friday before they were, uh, next Monday, they were going to the S&P 500. Right. So I was thinking, well, that's, that's kind of obvious. Everyone's all over that. And I'd actually sold uh, the last Tesla I had then, but then I actually rebought it. But then I had to sold it again in a few weeks. But I look at that level, and that's 
between 695 and 700. That's like a key level for yeah. it, you know. That is interesting. Down and undercut it. It tried getting up to seven, couldn't get a, couldn't get over. Oh, got over it uh, in April there uh, of this year. And then again, it dived underneath it, tried to go. And again, it just keeps bumping into 700, 700. But the chart's getting a little bit tighter. And now it got above 700. And it, it's like a pretty nice, like volatility contraction pattern. Mm -hmm. And it's gotten tight. And now it's, it, it's actually living above that 700 level. So I do think it's actionable here. And, uh, you know, I can't tell you about, you know, value of Tesla who can, because that's not, you know, <laughs> I don't care how many cars they sell. I don't think it's going to match this valuation, but right. it's, you know, Elon Musk and Tesla and everyone loves it. So mm -hmm. it's just one of those things, you know, you don't want to go crazy and load up on here, but it's something that should be in a radar and it is playable. I do have a smaller position in it. Yeah, I, I agree, George. I mean, I actually have a, a small position. I started buying Tesla over the last month or so as it's just been slowly building because they're just one of those stocks that you don't want to lose track of. Um, and also, I should mention that I, I own both NVIDIA and AMD. So, George, we're, we're, we're in the same boat here, man. Oh, yeah. We, 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 we got we, we to gotta row the same direction here. But uh, uh, yeah, but I think that's a good point. This is this is just going to be the one that's so interesting because it went on that monster run last year. This is, even though it's finding support on the 200 day and it's gone through that critical 700 level. I, the one thing I, I just think of it's this is, it's trying to build some really big, large, weird base that we don't recognize. Can this really work or does it need to correct more? So that's why I personally just kind of just kept it as a small position right now until I see something a little bit more recognizable. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, and it, it might, you know, I, I kind of believe in round numbers. It might run to the trillion yeah. dollar valuation. I think that'd be right at about a thousand dollars. I mean, who knows? You know, <laughs> yeah. wishful thinking, optimistic. Um, so let's go ahead. Uh, another another stock that we've been talking a lot about on the show, Unity Software. Um, now, some of these stocks that we're talking about, I mean, you know, they've had some pretty big corrections. I mean, this was topping out almost at 175 and then came all the way down to 76. Um, what What is it that put Unity Software kind of back on your radar after that big downtrend? Okay, I'm going to give uh, Arusha credit here. So to me, Unity <laughs> Software was just another software company, you know, and that was just looking at its first kind of IPO brace, base break, I was about $100. And then when it came down, I see it's kind of like seems to be living at around $100, you know, undercuts it. But then I uh, went on a podcast, Arusha was talking about how they're the dominant yeah. player in this uh, gaming market. And I go, oh, okay, that's, that's, that really caught my interest. I said, I need to pay attention to this stock. And then when they had uh, the earnings uh, released the next morning, uh, right there, they broke out and actually they, they started out pretty slowly. So you could get them uh, 114 and a half, 115 area. And then again, there's your volume. And I think it was at third highest volume in its history or the fourth highest volume. You're so, nothing if not consistent with uh, pointing yeah. out that big volume. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. And so it ran up and then it pulled back and I actually did sell some uh, above 121 or 122 because I, you know, I just got a little nervous. You know, I said, well, it's not really, doesn't really have the earnings. So maybe I should be careful here. But then it, again, it came in at a 10, 20 day bounce. So I rebought the position, you know, and I'm still holding position now. And I think it's acting very well. We got a little blue volume bumps there. Uh, right there and, and then when it comes in it the, the volume dies down a little so i think yeah. it's acting very well 
And I think a key hurdle is right here, because if you go back to February, you see those two really high volume negative days. Mm-hmm. And, and that's right where they close. I think, what is it, 120? The first day is 128 something, I think. And then, yeah, yeah. 128.64. Yeah, the next day is 125. 120. And that's right where yep. it's sandwiched through. And I'm thinking, if it can get over that hurdle, because yeah. there was someone on the other side of those buying those right. when everyone was dumping this, the stock, then this thing could actually have, I'm hoping, has another little run. That That's really interesting. And I do have a, small position in, in unity too. Uh, but that I, I like the way you're looking at in the past, what are yeah. some of the really big volume days and using that as a, 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 a resistance or support area. And for the Tesla example, it was becoming support here right now. It could be, it is resistance. And, and so it might take a little bit of time for it to, to work through that. So that, that is really interesting. And so, uh, did, did you say that you had, had trimmed this a little bit? Are you looking to add if it gets back above that level? Yeah, back, back above the 129. I, I mean, I, I did trim it, but then I did buy back my position. It's, uh, it's 10%. Okay. Uh, and if it gets over that 129 level, uh, living over it, not the first move over it, then yes, I will be adding somewhere there. And as you mentioned, this is one that was trading below the 200-day moving average line once it showed up because it didn't have 200 days of trading activity for a while there. So once it did show up, um, you know, it was below that. Uh, did you wait for this to get back above that 200-day moving average line, or were you able to kind of uh, cheat a little bit as it? I mean, it, it it broke out that day and got above it. Um, so were you at that I, I line broke, first. I I bought it right at the open. Uh, yeah. When I, when I saw the earnings uh, reaction, it looked like it was going to start moving. The volume was coming in. So I started buying it right there and then. Uh, Close enough. Yeah. Okay. So. Very good. And let's go ahead and end the show with uh, Palantir, uh, ticker symbol PLTR. Another one that had uh, kind of a, a, a nice move out of its IPO. And then it had another one of these big corrections uh, from 45 down to 17. Um, now it's it's above its 200-day moving average line uh, that just appeared, above its 50-day moving average line. Uh, so is this, is this something, you know, kind of what we call a bottoming base here? Um, how is it that you're analyzing this and, and what is it that you like about it? Okay, so, you know, the stock has a lot of notoriety and, you know, due to the management, you know, so that kind of makes it always something you want to follow and interesting. So, you know, obviously this period uh, where your curse is from December to March, it's just too wild and loose. You, you, you can't mess with any of that in there. You know, it's, it's just, I know some people make great money on it, but it's just too crazy of a stock. But fast forward to this May, where it had that kind of volume bottoming day uh, and, you know, we had that huge volume. And all of a sudden it just started trading so, uh, you know, nice, you know, mm-hmm. just, just trending, no really few wild swings. I mean, it's a low price stock. So those percentages are kind of large, but it just started trading pretty good. And I did uh, have it in there for some time, but then it reversed. I got out just because, you know, these kind of, I call them bottom fishing type of plays. You have to be careful, you know, Right. but it corrected and look how the volume just dried up in that base, yes. you know, and, and that's really nice. And then it had the earnings and then, and then again, a huge volume day volume spike, right? I did try a position there and then I got knocked out two days later, you know, and, and again, it's just because these bottoming plays, I'm just a little bit more careful. And now I, I retook a position because again, I saw these big volume blue bars coming into the stock. I'm going, okay, this stock might be ready to go. It tightened up uh, the volumes there. 
And again, uh, right above that $27 level, if, if we go back to the left, you'll see that's where a lot of the, these big volume closes were happening. So there, yep. there's something about that level. And if it can get yeah. through there, then I, I am looking to, to add a little bit more to that position. It's, it's the smallest position. It's, it's 6%, you know. So, uh, but that's kind of the way I'm looking at it. And again, for me, those volume days, and, you know, this is like, it trades average volume, 41 million shares. This, this isn't like just, oh, another million shares traded this day. <laughs> that's a lot of shares. Yeah. Yeah, and some of those spikes are uh, you know approaching a hundred million. Some of them are That's over one eighty nine million, right? two hundred yeah. million. Yeah, and there's some red spikes in there too. But you look at the blue spikes, and they're much much higher. So uh, they they really those blue spikes stick out to me on this chart. Yeah, and I do kind of look at the round number valuations. It's like right below fifty billion valuation, with the idea that you know this might sound crazy, but you know, stocks hit resistance at $50, $100 price level. And then sometimes you'll see them hitting resistance at 50 billion, 100 billion, 500 billion, you know, trillion dollars price levels. It, it, this hedge fund guy turned me on to this idea. And I'm like, you know, it kind of, it seems to be Makes happening. Sense. It's, yeah. you know, trading is psychological. And, you know, did a fund say, you know, we're, we won't buy it after this, but, oh no, we're thinking it's going to be worth at least this. So, mm -hmm. you know, somebody got to wonder what different, uh, what different, people having different, um, you know, mandates for the mutual funds, at least, you know, maybe they're saying, okay, we, we will hold something until it gets to this level. And other people are like, we won't buy it until it gets to this right. level because they want yeah. like the larger cap, um, you know, maybe some of those indexes and so on. So yeah, that's a really good point, George. Um, well, hey, George, I really want to thank you a lot for uh, uh, sharing all your knowledge, share what you've learned throughout your decades of experience. It's been a lot of fun. So thanks. Uh, thanks a lot for coming on. It's great. Well, thank you for having me on the show. And uh, thank you for all everything you guys do. Investors Business Daily, you guys put out the best educational material there is. Uh, the IBD Live show is great. And just listen to all your podcasts. It's always been very great and educational. Yeah, and we, we, we have a good time, as uh, as we noted on today's show. If you, if you like <laughs> avocados, uh, definitely check out IBD Live. Yeah. And you'll learn about uh, Scott St. Clair and Arusha's avocado stories. Um, but uh, next week on the podcast, we're going to have Kenny Polcari back on the show. Now, Kenny Polcari was a floor trader uh, for, for the O'Neill team and just a lot of great stories that he's he's had from his decades of experience on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, now he's a managing partner at Case Capital Advisors, um, and he's going to share some of the things that he's learned with his experience on the floor of the exchange. So make Make sure you tune in to that for next week. And thank you for listening this week. We'll see you next time. And for this week's notes and charts, make sure to go to investors.com slash podcast, where you'll find details for each episode in the podcast episode section. And make sure to subscribe, rate and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.